Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Right on the PR Moment Podcast this week, we've got one of PR's nice guys, Edelman UK and Ireland Chief Operating Officer, Justin Westcott. He started his career at Microsoft before moving to August One and Inferno Communications, and Justin joined Edelman in 2006. For those of you that don't know, and I suspect most of you do, Edelman has a fee income of circa $890 million, which is the biggest number I've said in a while, and about 5,500 staff globally, um, with 60 offices around the world. It's an independent PR firm, founded in 1952 by Daniel Edelman, and it's currently run by his son, Richard Edelman. As of 2018, it was the largest public relations firm in the world by revenue. It has 600 staff, I should say, in London. Now, if you haven't already entered the PR Moment Awards, the final deadline is coming up on January the 10th. So if you do want to enter, you are going to need to get a wriggle on. And finally, if you are interested in the best practice of measurement evaluation, please do take a look at our PR analytics programme with speakers from Facebook, Diageo, the UK Government Communications Service and many more. Details are, as ever, on the homepage of PRMoment.com. And finally, on the plug front, thanks so much to our PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Justin, welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Hey, excited to be here. Now, um, you really, really, really wanted to be a doctor, didn't you? Is that, so what, what happened? How come yeah, you ended up in for PR? thanks for bringing that up. Um, look, I'm one of those... I was one of those geeky science You look kids. like a doctor. You could be a doctor. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, look, I was one of those geeky kids who liked science. Right. Um, and, you know, lived my life thinking that one day I would pursue that great career of becoming a doctor did everything needed to do that including going to university to study medicine but so you um, got into you, you got into medicine to do a to do yes, a medical degree yeah, 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 right. I did, I did. Okay. but um uh, unfortunately i found after passing out eight times in anatomy that perhaps i didn't have i didn't have the stomach for it shall we say. so it wasn't that you were rubbish at chemistry or anything like that you you just uh, you, you literally I was never that out. good at chemistry so but you, that, you were good enough to get into medical school look I was look, I was fine cutting right. up dead bodies so I'm a PR person that has you know cut up a cadaver um, which is I think unusual but the <laughs> the bit I struggle with was disease disease like, yeah I think I'm, it must I must have this control thing right as soon as I felt out of control my body switched off really and passed out did you? Did you? You didn't have some, I don't know, hypnotherapy to try and sort this element. I tried element it. And I it, tried it. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. I mean, we're having a laugh about it, but that's pretty gutting, well, isn't look, it? So actually, the medical you... profession's losses, the PR industry's gain. Ah, I hope. Over the time, you're presumably monumentally annoyed. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I was young enough to not be that annoyed. Okay. Yeah, life right. is in front of you, isn't it? At that age. Right. Um, so so I soon then switched over and, and, and sort of year two and year three did a lot of softer science stuff, psychology, behavioural economics. Right. Um, that in essence, I suppose, has paved the way to the career I now have. Right. And I love what I do. And you flirted with recruitment briefly before before moving into uh, into PR. Is that right? Yeah, because when you come out of university with a human sciences degree, yeah. uh, it's not the most vocational thing you can sort of walk away with. Um, I've always, for whatever reason, had a bit of a the gift of the gap. Uh, and, I, and I sort of walked into a sales job, which turned out to be a recruitment job. Um, that was like 2000, 2001. So it wasn't a bad time to be in IT recruitment. A lot mm. of stuff happening. Yeah, you made and, a few quid. Um, yeah, look, I, I'll be honest, made a bit of money at a young age, yeah. which was great. But... But I think I just realised, having gone to university, it was a good degree, that 
I think there was more to life than feeling I, like chasing a financial target every six months. I did a recruitment for a while. It's a tough gig, isn't it? I mean, it it's, is. It's direct it comparison seems to be it's how many phone calls you make care. to how much money you make uh, and whether you want to do that for your entire career is oh God, yeah, possibly it was, it was, it was, it was a volume game, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, left that uh, disillusioned, unsure, <laughs> unsure what to do. Um, and then I think the sort of PR industry found me. Yeah, I mean, that's quite... Oh, it's, clearly, it's it's worked out, but it's quite a jump from IT recruitment to what was it, the Microsoft press office? How did how did that come about? Yeah, because it, well, I think again, it's right place, right time, isn't it? Often in your career, um, oh, so it was. You didn't seek it out; it just sort of no. It found me. Uh, it was a friend of a friend who knew someone who oh. worked at Microsoft that heard of this role they were recruiting for. Um, and the well, role it's good, that, good that they had a plan. Blimey, that you know, the friend of a friend, that's friend of a friend, amazing. friend of a friend yeah. had a plan. And um, I sort of turn up for this interview at them in Reading at the time in, in Thames Valley Park um, for a role in the press office. Uh, still not really having un- any comprehension of what the PR industry was. Um, it was very framed as you know tech because I've been convincing people to take jobs in technology. You're good on the phone, mm. and this is the UK's busiest press office. You know, this was the height of Microsoft's DOJ trial, change of licensing, launch of Microsoft. It was busy, so they generally had uh, six of us in a in a room that uh, for those people that worked on Microsoft will perhaps remember it was the fishbowl, um, dealing with over a hundred calls a day from the media, looking for commentary, looking for content, looking for products. Uh, and our job in the press office was really connecting those journalists with spokespeople or with, at the time, Microsoft's many agencies. Uh, they had a very extensive uh, agency roster at that time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what, if you were going to design an education into the I don't know, the 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 building block the 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 of, of public relations then that that is it isn't it you, oh, it you was... must have you learnt loads and it's I suspect it stood you in good stead yeah well I'd like to think so I mean I, the 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 bulk of my career has been in and around technology um, so learning in that some compressed eleven months everything there is to know about Microsoft and its complexities and the scale of its business is. Yeah, only ever built from that going forward. But it's interesting at that because that's basically the only time you've worked in house. Is that right? Uh, yes. Been yeah, a but it was, uh, was in house working really closely with uh, the agency. But did that? I suppose what I'm going with that is it did that. It seems to me that you you had a look at what it's like to work in house and then worked. You've spent the rest of your career in agencies. Is that is that a deliberate thing that you reckoned you prefer the the, the agency world to the in-house world. Yeah, and I, I think probably for the early part of my career, that was more subliminal um, okay. than explicit. Uh, I think what I recognise being in that environment, I understood what it took to create and make the news. And, and that piece for me was the piece I really enjoyed. I liked the intellectual challenge. I liked the the creativity that was being demonstrated with people really generally trying to think about how you get on the front foot and control the news or make the news. Um, and I think there was a sense, and maybe I was you know, you know, a bit naive in hindsight, but the, the, the press office experience of Microsoft made the in-house role seem extremely reactive. Um, and that for me just didn't, doesn't kind of fit with my, my skill set, my interests. 
Right. Um, and is that? But I mean, there's plenty of reactive work going on in agency world as well. I mean, oh, possibly not so uh, much now for you because you're a bit more senior. But it's kind of that. Uh, what was it with the agency? Was it that ability or that the the, the the essence of being able to jump around between a few different clients and the variety that that bought, or I suppose, or maybe the creative element of it? I suppose I don't know. Without giving a cop out answer, like everything you just said, okay. <laughs> it's right. a combination of uh, variety, of course. But also, uh, also getting to make stuff, you know, right, coming up okay. with things. They didn't always get bought, coming obviously. Coming up with things. But just, uh, <laughs> Is that Edelman's yeah. new strap line? <laughs> yeah, please, yeah, please yeah, take that in the edit. Um, uh, but no, I think, I think a lot of what we do is you, you, you make something where nothing was there before sometimes. Uh, and that, yeah. for me, that creative act has always been fascinating um, and rewarding in equal measures. Right, um, and I don't know whether it's deliberate or not, but you, you obviously followed Microsoft around a fair bit in your early career, anyway, because you went from Microsoft to August One. Yeah, is that right? That's right. Uh, I presume you you got the job at August One partly because they knew you from Microsoft. Is yeah, that one hundred percent? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, how long were you there for? That was uh, August One. I get uh, the August One Inferno, I mean, which you're coming yeah, out to next, was sort was of almost well. one in the same yeah. because August One sort of got folded into Inferno. Um, but uh, that was probably five years of my life. Was right. um, it, was that that potentially pretty important part of your career? Was it? You, you know, that was your agency first agency job, and yeah, of course it was. Where you where you earned your earned your stripes potentially? Yeah, very much. Well, you, you sort of learned the core fundamentals, and um, uh, I think it was just a great time to be working with a client like Microsoft, um, as well as others. But Microsoft was the main client, and also working with some fantastic people. You know, there was a really good bunch of people that I was learning from. Uh, people like Mark Pinson, that people know, got a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Stuart Hanley, that was running the business. Stuart Hanley, uh, Tim Dyson, who ultimately runs right. Six Fifty. There was a, just a really good bunch of people in and around that agency. Um, yes, yeah, so and I'm thought a sponge. About that. I suck things up. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that for a while, but there was, yeah, there, it was a, uh, I don't know, it was the dominant tech agency in London at the time, but it was doing pretty well, wasn't it? And there were some some people who've gone on to, as is so often the case, you get these little, um, uh, a handful of, of, of people who, who who then go on to do some quite interesting things in their careers. Yeah, um, look, and I definitely was, I, I, I'm sort of making this up on the spot, I suppose, but I thought, I, I felt like I was like the second wave. I okay. came in on, on the back of an agency that had been grown by probably quite a young, talented bunch of people that came out of Byte. There's a right. really strong culture. And as a result, they'd kind of, um, they were just at the top of the game at the time. Uh, and I came in in that second wave as they were expanding um, and was then able to learn from all these people that had been extremely entrepreneurial um, were and had been through the kind of tech boom. Um, and for me, then going into a profession of comms and technology, it was great learning time. Okay. Um, and then you met Jonathan Hargreaves, is that right? Um, and presumably yep. again through Microsoft, there's a, a real theme of your, your early career anyway here. Uh, and he, he basically, I mean, he persuaded you to go to Edelman. Is, is that right? Is yeah, that, like we essence? always, um, Microsoft were very good and I probably, it was probably very early in, in doing um, kind of integrated agency teams. Uh, very, each agency had very clear swim lanes, um, but would be very good at bringing them together for leadership discussions and planning. How, did that, how does that work? Because it's interesting now, isn't it? You get clearly, you know, the likes of Edelman, you come up against different types of agency, but even now you get PR agencies all working on various different accounts, mm-hmm. one of which may well be Microsoft. Go on, just talk us through that dynamic. How does Because you all sit in a room together and you, you presume you've got to, you've got to, um, you've, you've got to be 
cooperative with each other, but at the same time you're thinking, yeah, if we could get a little bit more of this account, that would that would help. But yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I, my experience, I find it's unusual today to see multiple PR agencies around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Microsoft environment at that time was very clear agencies in PR doing very clear scopes of work. Um, Today, we do an awful lot of kind of integrated agency meetings, but the the competition are different shaped. And I often say where the industry used to have very clear swim lanes, we now live in a world where that swimming pool is a jacuzzi. (laughs) It is messy and everyone is... dirty. Yeah, everything that you can associate with it. But uh, but that's the opportunity for us. It's the opportunity for our competitors as well. Full of bleach. Right. um, Yeah. Okay. Um, And the... One of the... When we were talking in the pre-show chat, you're... Uh, well, we were doing it on the phone, but I, I sensed your eyes lit up a little bit when you talked about the time when you went to the Middle East, around 2010, um, to, to set up the, the, the Element office out there. Is that one of the, the most favourite parts of your career? Yeah, look, I, I think I've been really lucky to have a, a great career, and, and I'm someone who takes a ton of enjoyment out of what I do. Um, that, for me, was a great moment, a great time in my career, and I think a rare opportunity. Uh, and to clarify, I wasn't, I wasn't the person setting it up. I was uh, a person that came in probably a year help, after help we started. Okay. But I was one of the early yeah. team members. Um, and yeah, I think it's been one of those, I'd be really surprised if anything ever happens like that again. It, just, it was a region that was truly accelerating, like nothing we've seen before. Um, and we, in essence, were a startup, you know, six people initially, in Abu Dhabi, who right. had all the support of the global Edelman network and machine behind them, which is a kind of a rare combination. Um, and it was just a ton of fun, and I learned so much. So in, like what, in, what, I was there for nearly four years, and we went from kind of eight people to 85 people, so a ton what, of growth. What did you learn on, on, the, on the business side of things or the, the cultural side of things or, or, the, or, or what? what was the... Every day was a learning opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I learned a ton about the business. You know, I went from being a, uh, you know, let's say a minnow in a large pond to yeah, right. suddenly being someone who you know, had hands on the levers and, oh. and was making Which presumably has helped decisions. a lot now as you, oh, as you become CEO. Completely accelerated my career. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say that. And I learned an awful lot along the way from the people I work with and the experience. Right. At the same time, truly learning what it's like to operate and communicate in a different culture in a different part of the world, in something that's so foreign. I'd never actually been to the Middle East until I decided to go and live and work there. Um, and Did you have family at the time? I, can't, I don't know. Is yeah, the... I'd, I'd just got married. Okay. So it was a perfect time in life. You know, we'd got married. Uh, the opportunity came up about six months into us being married. Uh, I don't think my wife would mind saying she'd really lost all interest in her job at the time. <laughs> so uh, got she, wind of this she, opportunity. She wasn't oh, and she was all in. No, no, no. She she was all in on on the move to right. to the Middle East. So great to have a great partner like that that wanted to yeah. just drop everything and, and, and move. Um, so we spent you know just over two years in Abu Dhabi and then uh, nearly two years in Dubai, where I right. you know, ended up running the office there. Right, um, and. Just talk me through a little bit, actually, your your Edelman story, because clearly you came uh, you came in uh, on the tech team, 
That's right. At uh, what sort of level are we talking now? I mean, yeah. I came in as an account director. Okay. In the um, and you've been there since two thousand six. So we're talking thirteen odd years. Thirteen years. Yeah. Thanks uh, for reminding me. And so, in, from account director uh-huh. to thirteen years later, you're now. Well, you've got two jobs. We'll come to that in a minute. But uh-huh. let's just just talk me through how that how that journey to date of of Edelman has has gone for you because it's quite a it's an impressive story, but it's a nice story as well, isn't it? You know, so many people move jobs here, there, and everywhere, and clearly, a, a firm the size of Edelman, there are going to be opportunities internally. But it's a, an interesting example of how, if you stick with a firm, you can end up as well in a very senior position. Yeah, look, I I, I suppose I'm one of the the loyal guys, you know, um, and I think like like anyone going through their career, you have moments where you think, oh, is the grass greener somewhere else? Somewhere else? Oh, maybe I'll get that pay rise if I jump ship and, and take a diagonal move. Um, but Edelman has always been extremely good to me and equally, I think, me to them. Any time that I ever thought about maybe getting tempted to move away, they either presented me with something really interesting and a new challenge to learn, um, or I recognised another role I could take within the firm and, and made it known. Right. We're an extremely entrepreneurial firm. You know, if you think about it, we are still family-run and independent. And we've been successful because I think we get people into the business that are entrepreneurial and want to build things, albeit within the safety blanket of, of the element machine. Yeah, it's, it's such a hard thing to do. I know... Um, it's clearly something that, that has been achieved, but to ha- retain that culture of entrepreneurialism within such a big organisation, and it's it's not specific to PR firms where that's difficult, but it must be. How does that, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, we're an entrepreneurial f- firm, and you, you clearly believe it, but how does it, what, what does it mean? How do you, what, what what is the culture like to persuade people like you to suggest things, suggest new ways of doing things, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um Culture isn't um, what you say or what what you write down in values. It's 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 a demonstration of how you act. Uh, and I think that there is so many different success stories of Edelman of people like me who've had really interesting careers, or of investment in pioneering ideas that then can lead into a new revenue stream. Um, there's a kind of willingness to support people that have ideas. Um, and and reward you as and well. Reward, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah not, they back you. Right. They back you. And I think um, that for me is is one of the main attractions, Edelman, and uh, why I'm yeah hopefully building a still there good career here. Yeah, I mean, is there an Edelman way of doing things? I think there is, in the in the wider sector, there's always oh that's the Edelman way. You know, you can spot a piece of Edelman work at, at a distance <laughs> off. But I don't know if you if you from within Edelman whether you whether you think that's the case or not. This is, for me, this is actually a hard one to answer. I think um, if you think about the London business, for example, we there's 600 people. Yeah, we have a true spectrum of financial communications, investor relations, all the way through to brand marketing, purpose campaigns, and activations, and, and a spectrum of everything in between. Um, so to so to have a very structured Edelman way. It's just not something that kind of flexes on that scale. I think if I was going to identify an Edelman way, I think we always try to bring a degree of intellectual kind of rigor to what we do. And that sort of shows up through our use of our own IP in helping frame the thinking. You know, we've been doing the you, you trust barometer trust, for, you know, this is going to be our 20th year. I mean, it's a 20-year commitment to... 
um, uh, yeah, probably the deepest study into trust there is globally. Um, no, and good old yeah. uh, Richard being prescient 20 years ago has never been more applicable than it is today. Uh, so we use across every bit of our business, trust kind of permeates and is used. Um, but we continue to also direct, generate IP. You know, we, we, we do a regular study now with LinkedIn about the power of B2B marketing. Really powerful, really useful, helps inform a lot of our work in that area. Uh, we now do a regular study into uh, the CIO audience. Uh, so, so data that, so and insight that helps us do better programming to reach these audiences. So going back to the element way, although I accept there isn't a, a uniform structure yeah. to it, but you're sort of suggesting what there's a there's some decent IP and data and insight behind it, and then from that you create a strategy and ideas and activation and whatever else is that? Yeah, exactly. um, which is, I mean, that's not it's that's not, not radically different to it. Radically to other different, people, other than but, our. You're doing it at scale, investment and scale of, yeah. of IP, that many of which we made public. Um, yeah, yeah. But of course, you always hold something back <laughs> uh, that you can use yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, now, imagine in a, a 600-person consultancy business, um, as we mentioned, that's the size of, of Edelman in London. You know, it's uh, PR firms are so well, so political is the one way of putting it. But that your, your personal network is so important, isn't it? Um, so it must be. It must be a. a I suppose for the first few years, when you once you've joined Edelman, you're, you're, you've really got to try and um, create that network internally, have you? Because otherwise, it's it's about having those connections to enable you to um, to, to to do the best work you can for your clients. Is is that? I, I'm just trying to visualise how that might happen. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that, and I think that go back to the earlier point around entrepreneurialism that there's a degree of um, <laughs> your success within our firm can definitely accelerate or be accentuated by the relationships and the contacts you, you make because globally we are what, six and a half thousand people there's a ton of people there how many very... people do you think you know with an Edelman I'd say, yeah. Well, it's uh, uh, all six thousand five hundred deeply. But uh, yeah, okay. But, no, I, I, but if I you do, know ten percent, you're doing really well, aren't you? I mean, oh, uh, you know, five percent. I, I don't know. It's in, it's interesting query. I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms before. Yeah, all, I mean, the way I frame it is, if you if you, if you don't have any, if there's a client problem or something you're trying to wrestle with, there's a really high chance that there's someone in our network that has seen that problem before mm. and might be able to solve it. And you know so-and-so in the, in the Mumbai office or whatever else. Yeah, so there's, yeah. A lot, there's a lot of informal kind of casual uh, conversations to yeah. sort of get people together to collaborate. Um, and I think our sort of independence um, makes that kind of uh, more informal, kind of casual really? Why way of working be? work. Why would that? Well, because, you know, said account director in Mumbai isn't going to then send me a PO for their time. Okay. Yeah, it just, it just the little things like that in a, in a holding company model, I think, and I'm I'm saying this without having ever really lived that life, I'm not, yeah. um, whether it, there's a sense that there's more friction there. Okay. Um, in the pre-show chat, you talked about sort of element tree. I don't want to get too... Um, to, to obtuse here, but the and and that's sort of having PR is the trunk of that tree, if you like, and then um, growing or adding branches to to help solve clients' wider problems. Um, I get that theory, you know. I think I think a lot of PR firms are, are sort of trying to do possibly not on quite such a scale and quite such a not potentially not quite so many branches. But I get the theory. How does it work in reality? Yeah, no, I think it's just a it's a deep recognition that 
uh, well, use, let's use the tree analogy here. It's a good analogy. You know? But it, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Richard Edelman used roots, it for a bit. We yeah. are a, a PR firm, you know, with you know, 66 plus years of heritage. Um, communications and storytelling and narrative is, is what's made us successful to date. Obviously, the world is changing. There's new competitions, new opportunities, and a need to continue to bring in new specialists, new services. But we do so as branches to the tree. Now, this isn't about us building a forest of different trees that don't interoperate and collaborate. You know, so at the heart of everything we do is that deep understanding of storytelling, a deep understanding of the fundamentals of PR. Um, and what sorts of tree, what sort of branches? Well, we're really add? stretching this now, aren't we? Yeah, go on. But the, the, the types of services that you've added, mm-hmm. just, just don't, I don't try and list all of them, but which ones are the ones that you've found have been the most significant, would you say? Yeah, well, again, I've been at Edelman now uh, for a while, so, that, so that, that's been a journey. Um, yeah, I know you, had, so Ma- so you maybe- had Marshall on, I think, um, uh, a week or two ago, who, who was a key part of us building our digital uh, and social strategy, which was huge for us um, as a firm and really propelled us uh, forward at just the right time and, and, and brought new revenue, new opportunities and new ways of thinking. I think more recently, um, when we see the sort of the uh, as we start to increasingly go up against the ad agencies or the management consultants, the the functions that I think have been truly game changing for us have been the addition of true planning, yeah, or strategy. Um, I think we always have beaten ourselves up a bit as an industry around, oh, you know, we've got a creativity problem. I kind of. Slightly disagree. I think we always we could be way better at creative. When you see great creatives, it's amazing. But, the, but, but for me, the role the, that the role that was really different when I started to work with great planners was a, was a realization that there's a whole level of planning and strategy that we just weren't doing as well as we could be doing. If you get a good planner into a room or you get a great brief created, your work, your creative, then becomes bulletproof. It gives you a sense of confidence that. We perhaps wouldn't have had otherwise. And what, when you say a great planner, what again? Just I don't expect you to give away the crown jewels, but what what are they doing better than a, a, a PR planner? Because we've always PRs, publications have always done planning, but what you're saying is you're doing it, frankly, with more rigor. Well, um, and it's it's the it's the it's the model of specialism. You know, I, I've kind of been saying that probably for the last since I've started, we've been on a journey of kind of unbundling the PR executive. (laughs) So we used to have a very, we had a PR person and you would progress and as you progressed, you do a bit more business, a bit more new business, but you would be the creative, the planner, the writer. This journey of unbundling makes you realize there are people whose true profession, true skill set, their dedication is that one piece. And you get a dedicated creative or a dedicated planner in, in the room it's it goes from being it feels it goes from amateur to professional but the skill i mean i get the creative skill set the skill set of a planner in a from a pr context is what is to take take some data take some insight understand what the client wants objectives are uh, and work out a plan is, is that in, yeah, or, in, in broad terms, what we're saying? A strategy, a jumping off point, you okay. know, really to get so, to under the brief and find right. out what the real problem is we're trying to solve for our clients. And who, where are we getting these planners from? Do we find that good ad agency planners are good PR planners or is it is it a sort of variation on a theme? 
uh, combination. I, I mean, okay. the ad industry has had this specialized model for a lot longer than we have. Yeah, uh, yeah. So planning as a function, as a specialty, as a job has existed for many years. Yeah, yeah. But so, it's, it, but the, the, the what was behind my, my maybe I didn't phrase it quite right, was the, if you look at ad creatives, mm-hmm. and there have been a number of ad creatives that have come into PR to be creatives that have worked, but there's also been a fair number that haven't worked. Yep. And I just wondered whether um, whether the skill set was significantly different on the planning side in a in a similar kind of way from ad from from the, the ad creative to a, a PR creative. Or I mean, I'm just thinking in my head, it's probably pretty similar. Is what I was. That was my hypothesis, and I wondered whether... I would say, yeah, very okay. similar, because right. the planner isn't as focused on exactly. the tactics. Yeah, <laughs> It's more than how you express it okay. through the services that come on or the creative that gets involved. So it's an um, easier transition. I think um, so. Right. I think so. Okay. Um, and we're just really lucky. I've worked with some great planners. Uh, yeah. How, how long have you been working for great planners? That's an interesting point. Is two years, five years? No, no. This is uh, how long have I been back from the Middle East? Probably six years now. Okay. Uh, we made um, a concerted effort to invest in this skill set about six years ago. Okay. Uh, I've now grown it from one person to a proper function unit that's well scaled across our business. Um, and pretty much every single one of our practice areas or disciplines will now have a planner involved okay. in some part of their work. But you also, I, I was, it was interesting when we talked before, you also, you don't think the era of the PR generalist is over, do you? Is, is that, uh, you, you, no, no, because I mean, they're still I mean, There is a specialisation in generalisation, yeah. <laughs> Which, You've lost me. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I sometimes think it's, uh, sometimes if you get it right, it can be the ultimate specialisation. Um, okay. And actually, like, I still think really good um, in our profession, client handlers. Okay. But people who see the whole picture, who, I guess. Just, they, yeah. they, you need people who can really, um, you know, conduct the orchestra. You okay. know, and you can only yeah. really get the instruments to play if you know what what they can actually do. Yeah. So okay. I, I do think really strong generalists tend to make really good client leads um, because oh. they, they know which... I'm really mixing my my, my no, I, I, you've, I'm with forests, you. I get it. orchestras. Yeah, no, Let's see if we can get another one into the mix in this interview. Well, you've got two jobs. I mean, that's the that's the other thing I was going to talk to you about. I mean, when I when, when I look at your your LinkedIn profile, I mean, they, they seem like two pretty good big jobs to me. Um, head of technology, Mir, and COO of Edelman UK and Ireland. Um, how does that work? How do you how do you split your time? Yeah, I have a bit of a pause on that one. Um, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, got to go now. This is no. Look, it, it works, um, and it works for a number of reasons. One on the the technology side, um, we've just got a really really strong technology business in Europe, um, and with great leaders doing great work for great clients, it makes my kind of role uh, easier. I'm not sort of putting out fires or problems. I'm really helping our businesses work better together. Um, and do, you still, ways. do you still do some client work on that? You oh, yes, to, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's my client work. It's, yeah. It tends to be on our multi-market um, technology clients, uh, as well as looking for growth opportunities and how do we bring new clients into into the network. That, that's sort of my role there. But but I mean, Edelman's tech business would be if you just took that out of Edelman. I'm not suggesting anyone's going to, but it's it's a it'd be one of the biggest firms globally, wouldn't it? On its own, it's you know, it's a big old. Yeah, I mean, you probably have to check my math, but I think if you took a, took all the people out working on tech and their revenue, it would make us 
the largest technology PR agency. In, in the world? Yeah. Right. It's our number one sector. Right. So we do a number of sectors globally, and, and, and technology has become our, our number one sector globally. That, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't, that's not recent, recent, is it? But that's that's changed. Probably that, that happened. You became a, a, such a big tech agency in the last five years, six years, or was that as go a bit further back than that? Yeah, I think that's where it's really ex- accelerated. Right. Uh, we're very fortunate to work with some of the biggest part, technology companies. I was uh, going to say part, work. part of that is the, the, the evolution of tech firms and, and, well, and the globalization of yeah, them, of and, and therefore they quite would quite presumably quite like a, uh, a a PR firm the size of, of Edelman to work with, I guess. Um, I, I, go on, and you're, so you've got two roles. You've got the, the technology role, and then you've got this, the CAO role, which CAO is... Role. yeah, um, that's right. Which is, I guess, the business of business. Is that all right? And that's clearly that's right. something you really enjoy. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I've um, to sort of get to this role. I've had other sort of roles where I was running a you know a PNL or deep into the weeds of how do you run the business yeah. within the business. I've now got the ability to look that look at that from a London wide perspective, um, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, this is an interesting business. Um, we, I think like many relatively well-scaled agencies in London, have, you know, great opportunities and, and issues you have to contend with as you go through. This is an industry that is continuing to go through a transformation. You know, how do you bring in specialists? How do you unbundle the PR exec- executive mm. and maintain your margin? How do you run a profitable business where you bring in six people to do what one person needs to do themselves? Right. Well, go on yeah, then. How, how do you? <laughs> well, if you could tell me, write it, yeah, answers in the postcard, readers. Um, uh, no, it, there, for me, I kind of uh, just view this as like a it's a race of that finishing line. You know, it's okay. it, as long as you can just keep doing things a bit better, um, as long as you can learn from past mistakes and make sure you don't do it again, as long that, as you can scale best practice between teams, between the officers, you'll head in the right direction. I suppose that's the other the, the other side of that is that we're lucky in that PR, for all the fact that we like to moan about it, I think most um, it's it's a sector that is is growing in the main, isn't it? Not not everyone's growing, but in in the main, it's a sector that's on the on the up. As long as with the caveat, as long as you continue to do good work, sure. and presumably that makes it, well, any business, not particular to, to to any to consultancy business, any business that's growing, you 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 can then make positive decisions, which is I guess what what is the enjoyable bit of of that of running a business? Isn't That's it? right. Um, fine. Now um, the cross selling of, of PR agencies is kind of related to that, I guess. But it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I can think of a number of firms who do it well, mm-hmm. but I can think of equally a, a, a number of firms that that that, that haven't <laughs> that had such success and, and don't do it so well. Um, and I think in the main, they're the ones that haven't grown or have been outperformed by the market growth wise in the last ten years or so. Um, how do you do it at Edelman? Because it's clearly something that is, you've absolutely nailed. I mean, that that is, in essence, the growth strategy, isn't it, of taking PR as the core and then adding specialisms depending yeah. on client demand. Um, but it's an interesting, you know, when do you, when do you hire somebody and then, uh-huh. then you've got to persuade enough clients that they need it. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a juggling and, you know, it's a virtuous circle. And when, when it's up and running, it all works. But to start it is... It's quite often more difficult than it might seem, I suspect. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a few things that go into answering that. I think. I think um, uh, one is, is is having the 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 foresight to know when to invest in the the skills that we believe are going to become increasingly important to many of our clients. 
Uh, and again, I think the advantage of being a well-scaled global firm gives us pretty good prescience and, and you know, we've got some very early adopter clients that maybe gives us a signal to what's coming next. So we can then sort of make those investments in talent. I think the second comes back to uh, something we mentioned earlier around having really good client leaders, uh, the ability to understand how, uh, let's, let's keep pushing the orchestra analogy, shall we? <laughs> understanding that's a new instrument. I can figure out how I can make something quite interesting with that and okay. know when and how to bring those into a client engagement. I think it's really, really important. Um, and it's yeah, it's, it's a sort of combination. And again, back back to that, it's just you need to have the right the right culture as well. Okay. You need people to come in and kind of understand how they can fit in this world and work together. Um, you need to bring in people that aren't just going to necessarily wait to be fed, but understand that they can go and find business and work and opportunities to to grow their area of specialism. I think it was something Marshall Manson, Marshall Manson mentioned the other week. It was. Uh, how can I help attitude? Yes, this kind yeah. of sums that up, I suppose. Isn't yeah, it? Which is really those people important. you bring in with that lean forward um, yeah. approach tend to be the ones that build something. I'm leaning um, back in my chair now, make me feel. I'm gonna, I'll lean forward. <laughs> um, now, this it just made me think a bit earlier with that in that CEO role. Um, we, you know, I go back to this. It's a the scale. You know, lots of people are have senior roles within. Mm-hmm. PR firms that I interview and sit in that chair, but not so many have have, have attempted to, um, to to manage a uh, an agency of six hundred people. Um, you know, when you think about the agency challenges that most agencies tend to have, um, it's not peculiar to Edelman of pr- productivity, quality, integration, but trying to do that on the scale that you guys have to do it, uh, it it's it's presumably a tougher challenge, isn't it? What you must have some control elements and mm-hmm. try and manage that, or do you just, you know, in, in, do you try and live on a, a, a more chaotic um, environment than that? Yeah, well, some weeks if you look at my diary, look chaotic. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, a, a lot of what I'm trying to do in the role, um, again, building, you know, standing on the shoulders of people who had the role previously is get that right balance of uh, process that isn't too in your face that it feels like bureaucracy. Mm. Um, so light touch but smart. Identify pockets of really good best practice that exist in our business and then figure out how you can scale that so other people don't have to learn how to do it themselves again. <laughs> um, so that's where you bring some efficiencies. And I think just being really attuned to where we see inefficiency pop up in our business uh, and how can you then take quick actions to try to figure out what's going on here how do we how do we remove that from the business is that a process issue is it a personnel issue um is it something else do you use timesheets i imagine you do but is that is that we do yeah Yeah, we're we're, i uh, mean most big firms do but just our industry and um i'm i'm still yet to find um another way agency that really cracked that uh, oh there's a few that have but they're not the size of you um well i, I must admit i think when you're when the uh, you know i think the fd would would start scratching their head if you uh, first it's, it's that element of control and 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 client side isn't it that it, it does give you some yeah um, i mean we we we, we kind of need to understand the data and that yeah and, you know, it's still totally. not brilliant data because no. it's, it's you know no, no as good as the data that goes in but no it's something yeah absolutely um now edelman is such a, a an interesting case study i think for the pr sector because it's um clearly it's the pr sector's biggest firm um 
Edelman is, I, I, I think, probably in, in a state of transition, albeit probably gentle transition. Um, the PR sector is obviously in a state of transition. Um, and Richard Edelman has, I'm sure, correctly invested in, in new skill sets that you already talked about, such as creatives and planners. Um, but the growth of the global business has, has fallen in recent years. It's been well documented. This isn't an exclusive on this podcast between sort of 1% and 2%. Um, I think I should caveat that. I think it's pretty hard to, to grow a $800 million business at 10% per annum. That's going some. Um, but even so, I'm sure this reduced percentage growth is less than you'd like and certainly less than the, the often double-digit growth you'd, you'd had previously. What do you put that reduced growth down to? Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, a global story. Uh, and again, I think our growth of the year you reported was really kind of in line with the broader marketing services industry. Without a doubt, um, yeah, yeah. So in essence, it was just us not overperforming. It was kind of performing um, in line with the industry. And let's be honest, we <laughs> the world is in an interesting place right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, consumer spending follows. Um, we see some clients reduce budget. We've seen... Um, some interesting trends of you know clients increasingly taking some work in house, which is interesting. Yeah, in house. I think these all a, contribute mm. to that that story, albeit still a growth story. Right. So you you see it as a, a reflection of the market, frankly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in housing is interesting, isn't it? it? I think we probably don't talk enough about that in within PR. If you talk to to on the ad side, there's a, there's, or there's more of that there's more of that conversation where people are, are taking skill sets in house. Mm-hmm. Do you, you see a fair bit happening within public relations? Do you? Yeah, no, very much so. Uh, certainly on um, uh, sort of global pieces of business, is yeah. where probably HQs are building out some of the functions that previously they relied on agencies for, like digital work. Quite a lot of social digital work is now moved in-house that previously would have been something that um, an agency would have looked after. So that presumably means that the, the, not, it's not an Edelman-specific story, but the, 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 the role uh, of the agency is, as ever, continues to evolve, I guess. Completely. I mean, that's, I think, why people like this industry. If you, yeah. this, is a, this is a relentless industry in a, in a positive way. You know, we're forever um, uh, thinking about where do you go next? Um, what bets do you make? Yeah, where is the world of communications heading? Um, and you know, that keeps us honest, keeps us on our toes. Um, well, go on then. Let's, let's just deal with that for a minute. Where do you think we are heading? So it's one of those things where you regret the lead question that you threw <laughs> into her to get put on the spot. Make sure you're recording this. No, no, I, 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 th- I think if um, if the sort of last maybe five years have been about us really improving our kind of strategic and creative rigor. Okay. You know, that, that's kind of how I'd maybe frame the last five years. I think the next five years is where we as an industry just really have to raise our game in, in data okay. uh, specifically. Um, because I think we've been, you know, we're all, all the big agencies and small agencies, are, you know, there's, we're well serviced now from a stack of technologies. <laughs> um, I think we just have got to get a lot better at recognizing that our clients have really valuable first party data that we could be doing a lot more with to help them make better programs, to help us solve more interesting challenges. So, you know, don't don't come find me in five years' time and see my prediction is right. But um, 
Well, I'm sure my that's prediction right, right now is I think the next five years is going to be quite interesting and exciting from a data space okay. for this industry. Let's just deal with a few specifics on that. So, I've, and I'll chill out. I'm putting you on the spot here, so that, that yeah, I won't, I won't uh, try and hold you to this. But as a rough percentage, how many of your clients share with you their their their, their customer data, their internal so data, so to speak? Uh, I, I, very few. Okay. And that's that. I, I was having um, years ago. I don't know if you ever met David Rockland, who used to be at mm-hmm. Ketchum. Yeah. Um, and he, he that was his that was his point really about that whole debate that actually um, data uh, you've the clients have got to let you in on that. If you you can have a whole bunch of tools and external data that you can you, you can have access to, but if you if you don't have that custom the client data. It's very hard to to um, to connect that circle, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that first party data is where the magic can happen, um, oh. and I think the where you do get access, a lot of that is around being able to front up the right people to have those conversations. Mm. You know, it's you, you're not going to give your first party data access to someone who doesn't necessarily know what they're talking about. Um, we've we've been on a journey to really bring in some people that have got deep expertise in the area. <clears throat> Once you put them into a room, you can have a different conversation. You're more likely to get access. And I think it's interesting work. The people are, who I've spoken to on that said it helps a lot when you have a, a head of analytics yeah. client side as well. And then all of a sudden, if you've got analytics people, agency side and client side, then you start having a, 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 a much better quality conversation oh God, if you're yeah, talking to the CMO or the CCO who are you know clearly are interested in the analytics but not necessarily as passionate about it as others then it can get sidelined a bit too quickly but when you've got that head of analytics in house then it can be a bit of a game changer on that whole that yeah, whole triangle of data I, I believe um, we've just recently hired a global head of data for, right. for, for Edelman, uh, a new role um, right up on the senior management uh, team globally. And I had half an hour with him last week and pff, blew my mind. Really? Oh, yeah. Just In what, in what respect? For the, the, just, the use of data just, on... Just how, uh, you know, I, th- I think of myself, I'm a very tech literate guy um, who kind of understands what you can do with data. But when you really sit down with someone at the top of the game that's been doing this for the Wonderman and, and big ad agencies before, you realize we've just been scratching the surface. Really? And there's an awful lot more you can do with, with data than we even imagine. Um, and it, if we get it right as an industry, I think we're going to get um, to do more interesting work. I think we can solve more interesting problems. And equally as well, I think we can do, develop some more interesting and compelling creative. Brilliant. Justin Westcott, Chief Operating Officer, UK and Ireland at Edelman. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.